Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. This is a Bible study program and a ministry of Bluegrass Pike Baptist Church, and we do appreciate you tuning in again this week with us. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and it's always a privilege to have an open Bible and an opportunity to expound what the Bible actually says. We're not interested in your opinion or my uh, ideas. What we're interested in is what did God say? Uh, Not even what did God mean? Let's first find out what did he say? Let's establish that, and then we'll go from there. So on the Searching the Scriptures radio program, we are interested in getting Christians back in the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you're going to grow in the grace and knowledge, maybe you're listening today and you're a Christian, you're saved, you know the Lord Jesus. That's wonderful. But how's your growth rate? The best way to grow is to get a steady diet of the Word of God, and we want to try to help you with that. And for those of you who may be listening in today and you've never been saved, we pray that the truth will illuminate your heart that you might, by faith, embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and know what it is to be born again and to have all your sins washed away in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be his wonderful name. Now, this week we're going to study in Luke chapter 23 a simple message here today on trifling with the truth. Trifling with the truth. Let's look at Luke chapter 23. Let me give you the context of what we are about to study and read. Uh, Luke chapter 23 has us... Uh, in the trial stage of the Lord Jesus Christ, his trial before his crucifixion and execution. And of course, uh, the religious leaders of the nation of Israel are extremely envious of the wisdom and power and following that the Lord Jesus Christ has garnered over his three and a half years of earthly ministry. And so they want to get rid of him. And so they're afraid to do it themselves because they don't, they know that the nation loved him. The common man hurt him gladly, the Bible says, and it's still that way today. But the religious leaders couldn't stand him, and they wanted rid of him quickly. So they figured, we'll have this man put to death by the hands of Rome, and we'll be done with him. And so that's what's going on. They have uh, declared that he's guilty of blasphemy by making himself the Son of God. So early that morning, on the morning of his cru- uh, before his crucifixion, early that morning, they bring him to Pilate's court. And we're going to see here, uh, we're going to look at four different people here in the, in the 23rd chapter of Luke that come face to face with the truth incarnate. And let me tell you, friend, Jesus Christ is the truth in the flesh. Listen, he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He is eternal life. He is the way home to heaven. He is the way to be reconciled to a holy God and our creator. And he is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, my friend. And if you're going to deal with God, you must deal with him. And what you do with him will determine what God will do with you. And here in Luke chapter 23, let's pick it up in verse one. The Bible says the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Now, if you really want to get the details of Pilate's first meeting with Jesus Christ, there was more of a conversation than what Dr. Luke recorded. He gave us the basic uh, exchange between Pilate and and Jesus Christ. Pilate did ask him if he was a king, and Jesus said, I am. And, uh, but if you want the details, you need to study John chapter 18, verses 28 through 38. Uh, that is the 
the meat and the heart of what Jesus Christ and Pilate discussed at his first interview of the truth. Jesus Christ is standing right in front of Pilate. Pilate is marveling greatly at this man, and he has a few questions for him after he's heard the chief priests and the rulers of Israel accuse Jesus Christ of all of these things. And so he asked him, Art thou a king then? And it's interesting. He said, For this Jesus told Pilate in John chapter 18, verses 36 through 38. He told Pilate, He said, I was I came into this world, I was born for this purpose, and that is to give uh, uh, to bear witness of the truth. And he says, All they that are of the truth heareth my voice. And you know what Pilate said to him? The Bible says, Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? You know something? Pilate wasn't really seeking an answer. And you'll notice that the Holy Ghost records it as Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? How come it didn't say Pilate asketh him, What is truth? And the proof is in the pudding because the Bible says that as soon as he had said that, he turned and went back out. You know, there's a lot of people like Pilate. They pretend that they would would believe something if they could just find out the truth. But they have all of these objections to the Christian faith and to the Bible. Well, what about the contradictions? And, and what about this preacher that left his church and ran off with the funds and ran off with the secretary? And they bring up all these things and they act like that nobody can know for sure what the truth is. My friend, if you really want to know the truth, God will give it to you. But brother, if you're just a dishonest skeptic and you're only pretending to be interested in the truth, God is not going to give you one more bit of light until you come to grips with him and approach him as the God of the Bible. Amen and amen. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? He didn't really want the truth. And a lot of people who pretend to want it, they really don't want it either. Pilate has a lot of relatives, amen, in this day and age that we live. But I want you to see, look in Luke 23, verse 4, how Pilate handles the truth when it's brought before him. Verse 4 says, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. If you study the uh, trial of the Lord Jesus Christ, more than three times, Pilate declares to that audience, I find no fault in this man. The verdict is he's innocent. The conclusion is, after examining the charges, listening to the accusations, and examining the subject, Pilate says, not guilty. And yet, he didn't have the guts to let Jesus Christ go. So what does Pilate do? Look at verse 5. They were, all, they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was also at Jerusalem at that time. And so let's see what Pilate does. The first thing we see a man here in this chapter doing with the truth that's standing right in front of him. Jesus Christ is the truth. The truth incarnate. Pilate looking right in his face. And you know what we see Pilate doing like so many do? He got careless with the truth. You say, how did he get careless? He pushed him off on somebody else. Pilate didn't want to have to deal with the truth. So he is willing when he hears that he's from Galilee, he says, oh, good. I can get rid of him. I'll send him on down to Herod. He's in, from Herod's jurisdiction. I'll let Herod decide about this man because this one is confusing. Man, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. He was careless. And listen, I know a lot of people today the truth of the gospel lands in their lap 
and they pass it off to somebody else. How many times have uh, I witnessed the gospel, the truth of the gospel to some sinner and rather than, it, than listening and embracing it as though it's a message just for them, they're always looking to pass it off to somebody else. Do you know why that is? Because when the gospel does its work in the heart of a man, the first thing the gospel will do if it's presented scripturally is strip a man of his self-righteousness. And there's nothing more uncomfortable than having uh, your clothes stripped off. And spiritually speaking, there's nothing more humiliating for a proud, sinful, natural man than to have the gospel begin to strip his self-righteousness from him. He feels naked before God in the world, and he is willing to send that truth on to somebody else. And you know, it's so much easier for us to see sin in other people. Many times people listen uh, to sermons, and they miss the, the nutrients that they would have gotten by taking the truth in for themselves. You know what they end up doing? They end up giving all the benefit, all the blessing, all the nutrients from the truth to somebody else. They listen specifically to apply the truth to someone other than themselves. Listen, can I tell you, give you a piece of advice right here? Don't be coming into church services listening to sermons for someone else. That will never cause you to grow. In fact, that's going to stunt your growth. And you're going to be a self-righteous jerk in the end of the day, unless you start letting that Bible till up your own heart and apply the truth to your own self rather than pass it along to somebody else. An old black preacher one time was addressing his congregation and he said, the reason many of you will never grow as Christians, the reason some of you in this church building are still on your way to hell is because you're too generous. And everybody kind of looked at each other like too generous. How can I be too generous? He says, because all the truth that I preach to you when it lands in your lap, he goes, you're too generous because you give it away to the guy in front of you and the guy sitting in the pew behind you and the people to your right and to your left. And he goes, you walk out of church every Sunday having given all the truth away to somebody else. And brother, that is as, that is as wise of preaching as I've ever heard done. And that's what we see here with Pilate. Pilate is careless with the truth. He bobbles it and he wants to, like a hot potato, he wants to throw it to somebody else. So Pilate does like so many do today and they pass the truth of the gospel. When it hits them right in the face, when they're looking right at it, he passes it on. They pass it on to somebody else because they just want to get rid of it. So the first man is Pilate, we see, and he's careless with the truth, hands it off to somebody else. Then we come to verse 8. The Bible says, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad for he was desirous to see him of a long season. So here's the second man. We're going to look at how does Herod, how does this man deal with the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ? When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And here we have a second man. Now, this man is not as careless as Pilate. This man represents curiosity. Herod was simply curious about the truth and what he had heard about it. You say, what do you mean? He was wanting Jesus Christ to perform a miracle. He was wanting to ask some questions to have his curiosity appeased. He was wanting to see basically... He was wanting Jesus Christ to perform for him. And can I tell you, friend, God 
is not in the performing business. He's not on uh, at our demand to entertain us. Church is not about entertainment. God is not here to perform for us. He is not here to appease our curiosity. And that's what Herod wanted. He was just curious. He wanted to see Jesus Christ do something wild. He was looking to be entertained. He was curious. He was treating Jesus Christ as though he was some dog and pony show, some side show from the circus. And my friend, you'll get nowhere with God when you approach him and his word that way. Just curious. And you know what Jesus Christ did? He answered him nothing. You say, that's not fair. That's not, tr- that's not good. Uh, here was Herod. Why didn't he, uh, Jesus speak up and tell him the truth? Listen to me. Once God has sent light into a man's life, if that man rejects the light, God is not obligated to give him more light until he deals with the light and the truth that has already come into his life. And my friend, the first thing that a sinner has to deal with is the light of the truth of the gospel. Now you say, well, when was Herod dealt with? Oh, my friend, don't you know what saith the scriptures? Long before Herod was face to face with the truth incarnate, he had heard the messenger that went before the truth, the voice in the wilderness, a prophet and a preacher by the name of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, according to Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6, had preached specifically about Herod's sin of adultery, Herod had a lust problem. That's what uh, got him in trouble uh, later on. He had a pride problem, and Herod was a wicked man, a sinful man, and God had sent light into his life. In fact, the Bible says that Herod, uh, he observed John, and he knew that John the Baptist was a holy man and a just man, and he also did many things because of him. In other words, Herod respected John, but listen to me, he still rejected the truth that that preacher preached to him. And my friend, the gospel today in this age is quite simply the first thing that it demands of every sinner is repentance toward God. That's humility and humbleness. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, if you will not come to God on his terms... He is not going to give you more light. And it's amazing how people can reject the plain truth about themselves and then think and expect and even demand that God would show them something just for curiosity's sake. I think a classic illustration of this very thing that I'm preaching about today is the fact I knew a man uh, who had come in. He sat in on a Sunday night, and just so happens the particular message that I was preaching that Sunday night as I was teaching through a book of the Bible opened up some places there where clearly I had an opportunity to take a few minutes and teach on some prophetic subjects. And prophecies in the Bible, it's the fingerprint of God. Prophecy is a, a, a very important part of the Scriptures, but it's not all of the Scriptures. And prophecy, uh, amen, is not about conjecture and private interpretation. It's about simply seeing what God has said will come to pass and unpacking those things. But prophecy many times gets abused because people know that they, you can sell books and you can get big crowds if you say, we're going to have a prophecy conference and I'm going to show you who the Antichrist is and we're going to show you this and all this stuff. People will come out in droves for that because that's, that's information that they can collect in order to go around spewing, pretending that they know something that somebody else doesn't know. 
But the thing with prophecy is many times if it's, if it's taught just as a mathematical formula, like this piece plus this piece plus this piece, here's the formula, here's the mathematical problem, here's how we solve it, here it is. That's just information. That never convicts a man's heart. And many people are very curious about prophecy. Well, here's my point. After I had preached some that night and we had gotten on a prophetic subject, that man walked up to me and he said, are you going to continue teaching on this prophecy on Wednesday night? I said, no. I said, what did you ask? He says, well, if you were, he goes, I was going to hang around. I want to, I'd like to hear more about that. Now, folks, I knew about this man's personal life. His home life was a wreck. He had, uh, he had issues. And you know what he needed? He didn't need prophecy. He needed someone to preach the hide off of him. And he needed practical, straight ahead, thou shall not, and here's what you shall do, kind of preaching. And that's what he needed in order to put the pieces of his life back together, in order to get himself in some sort of shape that God could use him. But you know, as with sinners and carnal Christians... He did what most people did. He ignored the very thing that would have helped him, but he was curious about that prophecy. Friend, you don't need more. If you can't treat your wife right, knowing about the Antichrist and being able to split some dispensational hair about prophecy isn't going to do you one iota of good until you get your own heart right and get your life in order. God is not here to just appease our curiosity. Herod got zero answers from the Lord. He heard nothing from the mouth of the Lord Jesus because he had already rejected the plain, simple message of John and gone on in his sin. And here he's not interested in the truth, adjusting his heart and cleaning him up and setting him on the path of righteousness for the namesake of the Lord Jesus. No, Herod is simply curious. We don't need curiosity seekers. We need people that are looking, amen, to be changed and become new creatures in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. God will change your life. He'll hit the restart button. He'll give you a new birth, and you can start over. Is that what you're interested in? Well, amen, then come to him in repentance and faith. Trust him as your own Savior and be born again. But, friend, if you're just coming to the Bible because you're just curious about some things, don't expect for God to show you much of anything at all. So we see the careless in Pilate and we see the curious in Herod. But if you'll drop down, uh, we know what happens. For time's sake, we've got to keep moving uh, today. But in the chapter, if you'll drop down to verse 33, Jesus Christ eventually is condemned to die. And Pilate washes his hand of the whole thing or pretends to. And he sends Jesus Christ out under the sentence of death. And the Roman soldiers lead our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ outside the city walls of Jerusalem to nail him to a cross And you know the story. He is nailed to a cross there at Calvary outside the city walls of Jerusalem next to a criminal. He's got one on his right and he has a criminal on his left. That's what a malefactor was. He's crucified between two thieves. And the Bible says in verse 39, here's another man that uh, the truth passes by. Let's see how this next man handles it. Verse 39, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. So here we have a man that is right next to the truth and can see the truth incarnate, hanging on a tree, bleeding and dying, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this old criminal, rather than humbling himself in repentance and calling upon him, instead we see him hounding and railing on the Lord Jesus Christ. This man is not careless or just curious. This man is contrary to the truth. 
You say, he's contrary. Yes, he's angry. He's contrary to the truth, and he gets no answer either. He gets nothing from Jesus Christ. There is no record in the Gospels of Jesus Christ ever addressing this man that was railing on him and saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. In other words, if you are who you say you are, then do something about our situation, and then we'll believe. This man's contrary. You know, I see a lot of people that way in our day and age. Something awful, something tragic takes place. Maybe the death of a baby. And they come out of the woodwork. Well, I don't understand why God, if he's such a good God, why would he allow this to happen? And men become contrary. They say, well, if I was God, I wouldn't let this happen. I have a relative that recently had to go to a a funeral of a 10-month-old. I've preached a couple of those type funerals and their heartaches. And it just reminds me not of how uh, tyrannical God is, according to the world. It's not about how nasty and terrible God is. I find great comfort in the uh, fact of God's almighty power and the fact that he's in control on days like that. You say, why? Because I've seen, I know uh, what the Bible says. The Bible says that God didn't originally create things the way you and I have known them in our life. Listen, man is a fallen creature. He rebelled against his creator in Genesis 3. Adam did. And that Bible still says by one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. This was not the original creation. This is not the original way things were set up. There's a curse upon mankind. We are born in Adam's image, and Adam was a rebel against God. That's why you must be born again. Now listen, the lost world and some carnal Christians who don't know any better and who've never grown in grace will challenge the goodness of God on days like that. They're contrary to the truth. This uh, baby that my relative went to the funeral, the day before the funeral she was talking, my sister was, and she quoted over there to someone that she was working with, well, you know, God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. In other words, I don't have an answer for you. I can't tell you why. I'm not God. But I know God is good. And by faith, I know that the judge of the earth shall do right. And he always does. He is the giver of life and he's also the taker of life. And he can do as he sees fit. And the Christian should know and see the good hand of God all through their life and be able to recognize while I may not be able to understand why things happen. Nevertheless, I know I have a wonderful God, a good God that loves me and takes care even of the little ones. Now, listen, when my sister quoted some scripture, she was working with a woman who jumped up and said, I don't want to hear you Christians quoting Bible. She goes, what kind of a God would take a baby's life and leave my old elderly mother to languish and in pain in a nursing home? And she stormed out. You say, what's that woman's problem? Well, you say, she's hurting. Maybe so. But the problem is the very one that could offer her comfort and give her assurance in her heart is the very one she's contrary to. This thief, in verse 39 of Luke 23, is contrary to the truth. And he says, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. In other words, get me out of the mess I'm in. If you're who you say you are, and Jesus Christ had nothing to say to this man. Friend, you've got to come humbly. Proud people never get their prayers answered. Pride, there's no place for human pride in the presence of God. That Bible says that God uh, resisteth the proud, and he giveth grace unto the humble. Don't ever forget that. Are you proud against God? Who are we 
to reply against God. Who are we to challenge God? I didn't say that there wasn't heartaches. I didn't say that it might not cross your mind, Lord, why? But friend, let me tell you, you better do it with a humble heart, knowing that the pages of that Bible says how good our God is. And if you're a Christian, you know how good God has been to you. And you know what's amazing to me? People who say things like that, why would God allow a baby to die? Many of those same people will vote for abortion. And they don't mind for human beings to decide who lives and who dies. But God forbid that God should decide that. You see how messed up our thinking is? You see, man in his natural state is an enemy of God. In man's natural sinful state, when he's unregenerate and unsaved, he's a rebel against God. In his own heart, he, he chafes against the authority of God, and he demands things of God. My friend, you'll never hear from God. You'll never do business with God, and you'll never get a hold of the truth, friend, until you humble yourself in the sight of an all-knowing, all-holy creator and confess just exactly what God says you are, and that is a helpless, hopeless sinner. And you don't come busting into God's throne room demanding answers and being contrary to the truth and saying, hey, if you're who you say you are, then do this. This old boy hanging next to Jesus Christ dies bitter. And he died and he went to hell and paid for his sins there. And he's still there today, having been within feet of the truth, having been able to look over his right uh, shoulder and see the Lord Jesus Christ dying. And he has the audacity to rail on the Lord and be contrary to the truth. But listen, we've seen the carelessness that men have toward the truth. We've seen the mere curiosity that men have. Here we see the contrary uh, man against the truth. But listen, it doesn't end there. Oh, you know the story. Look at verse 40. But the other, speaking of the other criminal, the other malefactor, the other answering rebuked him. He rebukes this man who's contrary to God and the truth, saying, Does not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Watch his repentance in verse 41. We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. He just admitted that he was a sinner, and more than that, he admitted that what they were getting was their just reward. Friend, that's humility. That's called, I'm going to acknowledge the truth. That's repentance from the heart. He said, we received the due reward of our deeds, but this man, speaking of Jesus Christ, had done nothing amiss. Watch it. And he said unto Jesus, now look how this fourth man we're looking at, look how he deals with the truth. He says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He humbly confessed what he was, and this man wasn't contrary. He wasn't just curious, and he wasn't careless. This man confessed the truth about himself and about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he cast himself upon the mercy of the court and the truth. That's what he did. That's what salvation is. It's you casting yourself guilty and casting yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ and asking for mercy. And friend, if you'll do that, you'll find that the truth shall make you free. Because in verse 43, look at this. This is the first positive answer Jesus Christ has given anybody. Most of the men that approached him and saw him that day when he passed by didn't get one answer from him. Never heard a word from him. 
But friend, when you confess the truth and cast yourself upon the mercy of God in Christ Jesus, look at the answer that the truth gives. Verse 43 says, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You know what that old boy did? He confessed the truth and cast himself upon the truth, and he was saved. And before the sun set that evening, that old thief met Jesus Christ in paradise, friend. And that's one of the greatest examples of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, as you'll find spelled out anywhere. Is there any lost man listening to me, lost woman, that would like to be saved? Well, cast yourself upon Jesus Christ and trust him today. He died, was buried, and rose again for you. And the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What are you going to do with the truth? What will you do with this man, Jesus, which is called the Christ? Trust him today and pass from death to life. May God help you to understand this and embrace the truth. Until next week, may the Lord bless you as you seek him.